Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have my friend Ryan Olson of White Bone Creations Hunting YouTube channel. Ryan, how you doing? Man, I am great. It's good to be back on the podcast with you. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, did I pronounce that correctly? White Bones Creations Hunting on YouTube. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep, yep. So the... Uh, so kind of just the, the, you know, the brand name is Whitebone Creations, and I separated two channels years ago, a hunting channel and a fishing channel. But, yes, that's, that's probably where I have a, the biggest presence is on that Whitebone Creations hunting piece there on YouTube, for sure. So, and what is the, what is the fishing one? Uh, the fish, I was just trying to dabble in it to see if I separated the two, if people wanted one more than the other, but... I'm so secretive about fishing, I don't put much up, but it's essentially it's White Bone Creations fishing. Um, okay. I haven't posted there in a couple of years, but just okay. another outlet. I think at some point I'll merge them. We've, I've had you on the podcast uh, several times, and I, I saw you at, where did I see you? Sheep Show or um, Ex- Expo? I saw you at both. Oh, I think, Expo. I think, yeah. Did we miss each other? We missed each other at the sheep show, but I saw you at the expo. Um, but your YouTube channel has over two hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube, and I remember when we had done some prior podcasts. I want to say you had like ten thousand or something like that, and it was growing. Um, and and now you're at over two hundred thousand. Talk a little bit about. Uh, the grind, so to speak, of your business of trying to grow the YouTube channel, but that's that's incredible growth from my perspective. Yeah, no, I just feel incredibly fortunate and blessed um, to have really grown like that. I just I never dreamed it would. I, I never really had the intention of growing it to something. Um, now it's just it's exciting that it's kind of that it's there, like it's kind of real all of a sudden. Like, man, that is. That is a really good following here. It's really cool. But it is the most eclectic group of people you have ever probably been around. So I kind of run two parts um, to white bone creations hunting. So I always just wanted to share hunts with family and friends that couldn't be there, say, hey, man, check out what we did. And they could kind of see and experience the time we had in the field. And for years now, 20-plus years, I've been cleaning skulls for family, for friends, kind of self-taught because I couldn't afford my own taxidermy. And I had a buddy at one point just say, hey, man, you gotta, can you post a film on how to do the skull work? And because I had so many pigs coming in, I just filmed a, how to clean a pig skull. And to be honest, I think that's the piece that grenaded me up because there is so many people that can't afford to do their own taxidermy or they're curious or they just want to do it on their own. And so I started to see a huge increase there. And then that caught on to the hate, the guys that just were like, oh, my goodness, this guy's got issues. I can't believe he's, you know, whatever the – I've heard everything from mutilating animals to, you know, animal abuse. You know, at at, – at the point I get to them, there's no abuse left, right? It's just respect. But <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> they're dead. Yeah, there's no way around it. <laughs> but people, they, they just jumped on. They just jumped on. And even the people that 
hated and wrote nasty comments. They wanted to subscribe because they were semi-curious or wanted to see it. But I have crowds that range from, like, young, 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 and you can tell by the way they write, um, you know, uh, that just they just they just watch and they're interested in that young crowd the really young crowd those are the ones that that watch over and over and over again so that's where your views and that's where your subscriptions come from because they share your older crowd will look grab the information and kind of move along so from the growth piece i think it's come from the younger dem younger demographic uh on the skull stuff as much as I would love to say, oh, I'm just putting out fantastic hunting films and everybody's got to watch, it's probably the skull stuff that got me there. You know, um, you had introduced me to your friend Robert Arrington with Deer Meat for Dinner, and I had done a podcast with him, um, right. oh, I want to say like a year ago. Maybe it was more than that. Uh, yeah, a little bit. And I want to say at the time he had – a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube, and I remember you and I talking about unbelievable a hundred thousand subscribers on YouTube. He is now at one point four million subscribers, and you're at two hundred and twenty five or some thousand subscribers uh it It is amazing to see uh the growth through YouTube. Uh, and to see the success that Robert's had, I know you've been out there with him, um, and he he's got a show. It looks like he's transitioned a lot more to uh, what is it, uh, uh, catch, clean, and cook, or something like that. Yeah, um, yeah. And done a lot more fishing than hunting. Talk a little bit about uh, the challenges on YouTube, and not only what you know from your channel. Uh, but being friends with Robert and, and being in the industry and, and, you know, I assume that YouTube does some censorship or what have you. Uh, talk right. a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, Robert Robert is a good friend and, and to anybody in the outdoor space should be a mentor at this point because he just, he just got it done like nobody else. He is, he is he's running lead in that space. So, and not that it's a race or a challenge, but Robert is by far the biggest in the outdoor space on YouTube. And I think it's because he just ran tried and true and just stuck to what he did. He didn't over fancy a film. He was relatable. He's always, always, always appreciative of everybody that watches and them being a part of his family he went from, you know, being a boat captain and, and doing all kinds of odd jobs, you know, feeding the family to making a living on YouTube. Probably one of the few guys that has his own cameraman. Um, but he's genuine. You know, you can't, he's not, Robert's not just guessing stuff for content, right? That guy, that guy's a, a hunting, fishing fool. Um, and the cooking aspect of it, I think if a guy's going to jump in, that's the number one space to be in because um, the, it's the acceptable piece. <clears throat> but if you remember maybe, I'm probably off on my time, but maybe a year ago there was a situation called the Adpocalypse over at YouTube, and, and I'll try and abbreviate it real quick to let you know kind of what happened for everybody. But, you know, YouTube is the largest marketing firm in the world. So it doesn't matter who you are, Coca-Cola, Johnson & Johnson, anybody like that, 
you're going to put your ad out to YouTube because you're hitting a larger demographic than you are, um, say, just on TV, right? Because every kid's got a cell phone uh, in their yeah. bedroom where they don't have a TV or cable or what have you. So all these big brands were throwing ads at YouTube, and YouTube was just running them on whatever, right? So you may take a... I'm going to give you a poor example, but say a um, uh, a pink breast cancer, bre you know, Bic razor that they want to see if it would sell. And so they put it out there, get, get me a million looks tonight, and let's see if we get some traction. And it was getting put onto stuff that was horribly inappropriate, like whether it's uh, girls doing something they shouldn't or um, kids pranking or uh, or an actual crime. And so all these big brands pulled out of YouTube saying, hey, we can't run our ads on that sort of content. And it was a reality check for YouTube. YouTube said, oh, no, shame on us. We should have looked a little closer. We should have not allowed this to happen. So they started to go through, and they, they made a criteria that anything that was shocking, offensive, vulgar, all those words, right, that you would just, Generally speaking, you would never let your kids watch. They demonetized, meaning you couldn't make money on it. And so hunters, guys like me or Robert, we took it to heart like we were being attacked by the antis because my content naturally, or, or anybody that hunts, but especially the skull stuff, is shocking, right? So you're removing hide from the face of an animal. You're boiling and power washing off eyes and brains it's just it sounds horrible but you know somebody has to deal with the ugly to get to the beautiful and they didn't want that shown well it's completely flip-flopped where they're 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 realizing that like say like robert was getting demonetized for filleting fish because there'd be blood on the top of the cooler and you're like oh come on man it's you can't be there so we just held true through it all, tried to adjust to their rules, a little less graphic, and they have absolutely come around. YouTube has come around to be like, okay, it's a how-to, it's educational, you're warned before the film, you have a choice to click. A lot of my content, you have to be 18 years of old to even watch. And so I, I guess in short, um, the success, especially for Robert, and I would say you know, I've rode his coattails quite a bit, is we've just straight stayed true to that content. We've tried to always be respectful of our game and the environment and everything that we're filming, no funny, no clickbait stuff. Uh, there was definitely a time where I, I would make a film that I would hope you just watched, man. It'd be just a little bit edgy enough to where you watched, and it's been several years since I would even attempt something like that. Like I did a film way back when called Bobcat, It's What's for Dinner. And I did it to prove a point about uh, posting, you know, um, pictures of dead animals on social media. So I took it to the far extreme. So we skinned it, euroed it, made all kinds of different things out of the bones. I ate it, tanned the hide, mounted it. It was, it was the far extreme. But I knew just the title was going to get me clicks. I would play that differently in today's world with the exact same content. You know, um, I don't really know if that answers the question, but I think just staying true to what you believe in, what is right, um, it'll just kind of come around. So 
with with all of that, there was a worry that it was going to be demonetized. So you guys that were spending a lot of time, now we're not going to be rewarded, you know, making money uh, with your content. And you guys decided to just keep putting out the content that you're that you were doing, and you're telling me that YouTube has come around and has kind of changed their guidelines and made things a little more acceptable so that guys like yourself and Robert can still continue to make, have ads and make money on YouTube? 100%. Yeah. Yeah, so there's definitely certain things. Uh, so it's, it's case by case. It's video by video. So I imagine if you had enough films that were offensive or demonetized, they would, you know, they would demonetize the channel. But as of as of right now, if I put something up that is shocking or offensive, and I get a, um, I get a email from YouTube saying, "Hey, this has been demonetized," I have the option to appeal it, which I have done in numerous cases, and I just ex- explain myself, you know, because they. It, it gets flagged because of hate, typically. Somebody would be like, oh, my gosh, you've got to shut this guy down. He's, he's skinning ahead. Um, and so I respond with it's part of a taxidermy series. It's a complete how-to, which is the number one search thing on YouTube. Um, I just say, don't let the hate win. This is, done, this is just nothing but respect. And then I send it off, and all but one has been reversed, meaning I could monetize it, I can make money on it. Um, and so YouTube is listening, and they're hearing, and you have a rating now on YouTube where you have an actual grade, like your channel is running at an A+, plus or a B-, minus or a C, and, and depending on how that is, I think that weighs into the decision-making. Um, I, I don't believe, like I did eight months ago, that YouTube is out to get hunters or there or there's a agenda there against the you know the the hunting community I just I don't believe that's actually a thing um, I think it was just a way to correct what they had done wrong and get back in a good place and I think it's really easy for them to see who's who's genuine and who's doing this respectfully and I and I always harp on that word but that is the piece that I get in most comments that, that sways people right or left. If it looks and feels and seems respectful, I always feel that it is. But if they're, if they're seeing it that way, then they're okay with it, regardless of what's happening. But if in any point I am or anybody is disrespectful to the game or, or where they're at, that's when the real hate comes and the challenges come. Um, and so, you know, and that's the beauty of Rob's stuff. If you've seen Rob's stuff, he puts out a lot of content. That's another reason why he's so, he's so far ahead of the game. But Robert is so appreciative of what comes out of the water or what comes off the ground. And it's always turned into food. There's always a community of people. It's just him. It's just what he does. And, um, and that's, the piece, that's the piece that people relate to. They yearn for. They want to be able to do that. Um, yeah, and that's 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 where that whole thing's come. And I think it's a good time for somebody that if they want to be involved in YouTube, just to run with those rules and stay true to it. And nothing comes fast. You know, it seems like it was just that long ago. And like I'm not making and, and maybe another piece too, but 
I'm not making any more money today. This is weird. Any more money today um, at 200,000 subscribers than I was at 10,000. There's no more, for me personally, there's no more dollar difference um, as to where Rob, but don't, is, yeah, he's way up. Yeah, don't you think, um, well, let me ask, I know you had sent me an email with some uh, kind of guidelines and stuff, and I, I really want to talk about that, uh, but I've got a couple sure. questions, like, literally, there are people making, and, and, you know, maybe my numbers are off, but I've heard that there are people that are literally making millions of dollars on YouTube. Is that true or not? That is 100% true. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's are not, they making uh, that from the monetization from the YouTube ads or are they parlaying it with other sponsors that are like sponsoring their channels? It's, it's both, but there is – so you used to get paid – and I'm probably somebody from YouTube is going to be like, this guy's out of line. But I, you used to get, it was kind of how many subscribers you had. That was kind of the deal. And then it went to how many views you had. That was kind of how you got paid. It was paid in an RPM, how many you know, dollars per thousand views is what it was. But now it's changed again to where you get paid on watch minutes. So people had figured out the system that you could just go in and just have a have – a, an automated piece click your film every couple of minutes and it would generate um, it would generate views but it didn't generate watch minutes because it would start stop start stop so now everything you mean they paid on it. someone figured out a deal where they could just click it click it click it and now it was, yeah, yeah. you know kicking up their Oh my gosh, that's unbelievable! Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh you know how this goes, right? The the American yeah. way, find a way to make money. Yeah. It's just so crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, there is, and um, so I know people that are making between thirty and fifty thousand a month, right in there um, from YouTube. You know, um, I, I can't speak to the big dollar ones, but a lot of that is reported. So the guys that do like the gaming stuff, the big names like. PewDiePie and some of these other guys that are in that, like I have a teenage daughter, right, and she watches all these teenage YouTube stars. And if you look mm -hmm. at their content, right, um, 15, 20 million subscribers and all that stuff, these guys are extremely successful, whether they're just vlogging or whatever. And although I don't get it, you know, because I'm probably just too old, but they're watching it over and over and over and over again, and they're making money on watch minutes. And for that, particular brands, whether you're um, a makeup company or whatever, man, you just you just give them you just give them sponsor dollars, and it all comes you know it all comes back into the big picture of making money in that space. Um, but yeah, to, to your point, yes, there are people. I want to say that that PewDiePie. Um, again, this is a guy who films himself gaming. He's the biggest deal on YouTube, has been for many, many years. His, he, he reported $16 million a couple years back <laughs> on YouTube. <laughs> right? Holy smokes. It's crazy. Unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've got a couple questions. Uh, I've had a YouTube channel for a long, long time. Uh, 
but I don't post on it consistently. I don't post on it regularly. I used to put a lot of the elk hunts, the two steer hunts, the sheep hunts. Uh, I would video the hunt and basically edit it up with, you know, a, you know, I'm a fly by night editor, just, you know, nothing fancy, put it on sure. YouTube. Um, but the, the main thing that I put on YouTube is my Gould's turkey hunts. I have, I believe over 125, uh, Gould's turkey hunts. And one thing that's so funny to me is there are, I think from a turkey hunting perspective, there's some of the best like turkey footage videos that are oh, out for there. For sure. But one thing that's so crazy is, um, I'm sure it's entitling. I'm sure there's a lot of things that I just, you know, I wasn't thinking about it from that perspective. I was just throwing up the hunt basically to promote my hunts. But um, I'll, I'll, I'll have a, let's say, a hunt that I know is like some of the best footage that, it, I mean, is out there, like of birds gobbling, strutting, what have you, and it'll have like 300 views. And then right. some other turkey video that I did that maybe the titling was just a little bit different or something got it into that YouTube algorithm um, where all of a sudden it just started. That's one that they picked and it just, you know, took off. How do totally. you, how, how, what have you learned from titling? You know, what are some of the things that you've learned that would help um, people not only like myself, but just other people that are putting something up. Is is the title huge? Is the you know the 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 uh, where you talk about the video in the comments or whatever? What what's what's important? Yeah, so that's a, that's a great question, and I wish I had it mastered, but <clears throat> I don't. Um, but all the stuff I watched years past was good description in the title, right? So. Gould's Hunt, Mexico, that would be a fantastic place to put huge Tom shot at 18 yards or whatever, right? And, and so that would be a clicky thing for a guy that's looking. He's, he would rather watch the huge Tom get shot at 18 yards versus the, you know, 40-yard shot. Turkey Hunt 2018. Right, yeah, yeah. And then so I found also I don't want to put – I used to put dates and times on stuff. But you go a year, 2018 – it's old. Nobody wants to see it now. But if you put up a 19 film, they would go to that one first. It's a very strange thing. So I got away from putting dates. Um, I used to open a video with Happy Thanksgiving, and we're like, well, in five days, it's not Thanksgiving, right? It's, so I right. tried to get away so to, take, to make the video timeless, where it's, it's always good content no matter what's happening. But that same title that you're using has to be the exact same thing or the same verbiage in the description plus more because the algorithm used to come from tags now it comes from description so if you're interesting you're probably the number one tag for you would be Gould's turkey hunts right that's a very tight-knit very regional piece you know and and anybody that's in the know knows that if you're going to kill a Gould's you go with Jay Scott right that's a neat place to be but Gould's is going to be the search so I would put Gould's turkey in there maybe two or three times in the descriptions. That's going to push you to the top of the algorithm. And then in all your tags, this is where I figured out 
from my comments, just trying to be cognizant of what's happening. But say you type in Gould's turkeys in your comment or in your tags, I would put Gould's turkey in there spelled wrong in every way. So have put it, this sounds funny, but put it in there as G-O-O-L-D-S, right? Put it in there how it would phonetically be spelled wrong because people are going to search it wrong. But if you gotcha. go in, and that's a, that's a big trigger I don't think people really get, um, is because I have so many people say, I love the skull work, S-C-U-L, or S-C-A-U-L. And sometimes it's different nationalities, different whatever, and phonetically they're getting there, but it's not, <clears throat> but it would never trigger, right? So if I go in and I write skull 10 different ways wrong, I may grab a hold of that. I have some film, I had a film uh, a while ago that hit almost 5 million views. It's just poor. It's just on a sheep skull. And I went all through the tags just trying to figure out what happened, how did it get there, and, um, and I intentionally spelled skull wrong three times. And I don't know if that's the deal or not, but it was definitely something. Um, and then, of course, it's the shares. It's, how, it's who shares it with you. So I know that the second somebody from PETA or any of the hate groups, it, 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 at any point when they share one of my videos, they skyrocket. They just go through the roof because they share it with all of their friends and they jump on they pile on and hate, 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 hate. Well, what they don't know, well, I'm sure they know, but that's just, the more of that, the better for me, right? Or better for anybody. It just grows it so much faster. It's all attention toward that space. And if you're content of that, when they, when they start making comments and just, I mean, I'm sure they shows up and there's thousands of comments, do you just let them roll or do you go in and delete the comments? No, I, I, you know, there was a time where I responded to all of them. <clears throat> I jumped on and just, I just hit them back with love. You know, um, yeah, dude, I've had, I don't want to say death threats, but I've had just, just verbal hate where, you know, you should clean your own skull, which is hilarious. You should, you know, you know, and then they get, when they get into my kids, I get a little fussy. And so I would type them back like, man, I'll, you know, I'll pray for you. I hope you find that huge black hole that's creating this anger, anger's ugly. <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always typing, like, does your mother know you talk this way? Just stuff, yeah. you know, where it's respectful, you know, kind of rebuttal. Um, but anymore, it's so many comments, I can't respond. But I don't take them down like I used to unless it's horribly offensive. And a lot of times, YouTube will catch it. If it's really bad, gotcha. YouTube will catch it. Or if I get somebody that's really just poking the bear, right? They're deliberately looking for a fight. I'll just block them as a user. But I haven't had to do that in a year or so, which is, which is I'm refreshing. Looking, yeah, I'm looking at your channel right now, looking at your videos, and you've got how to clean a longhorn bull skull deadhead, 165,000 views. You've got the beast giant to home ranch bull. I watched that last night. Um, let me go down to here. There's how to clean a Spanish goat, goat skull, 43,000. Uh, a skull cleaning big bull elk, 223,000. It's only been up for four months. Um, yeah, and the, and the 160 in that longhorn is less than a month old. I, I see, like, how to clean a bobcat skull graphic, uh, how to clean a wolf skull graphic. Those are, like, half a million views. 
so by putting graphic and you know just being upfront that it's graphic, it almost it looks like your views skyrocket. Yeah, and it's funny. I went back through every film during the ad apocalypse, and I, and I put graphic on everything, thinking I was doing a service, thinking I was saying, "Hey, I'm warning you." And then if you watch some of those early ones, I literally go on and on and on about, hey, I am going to remove the hide off the face of this animal. Like, you're not seeing it, right? I'm being, I'm looking into right. the camera being forthright. I'm holding the knife saying, I am going to use this tool to do X. I'm really saying, wait, wait, wait. But there's a whole big part of the world that's going, man, I can't wait to see that. And then, right. you know, so I'm, I was trying to be good, and then I just first part of the year, I just said on one of the films, I will no longer complain on this channel. I will no longer cover for it. This is what's happening. And just, you have a choice to click or not click. Because I felt like I was harping and just beating up this, oh, woe is me. And I just, I, don't, I won't let any hate, any sort of negativity um, be put on this channel from this point forward. So, but yes, so people definitely, you know, you can see the views there, right? So that, that beast film, that, that, that elk film, um, that that's a month older than the Longhorn film, so you can see who watches what. Um, they just kind of quit watching the elk film, but they love the Longhorn film. And that Longhorn was a deadhead, so it's covered in maggots. It's horribly disgusting. It's all these things, and people just can't get enough of it. So, and they like, and they like the big stuff, right? They really like the big stuff, like, um, those big elk in there. Um, uh, I think, the, I think both elk films are Rogan's elk, Joe Rogan's elk. And, and so, and I don't disclose that on anything cause it's not, I'm not trying to use his name right. or publicity or any of that stuff, but he's killed some beautiful But if you would have put Joe Rogan's California elk, it probably would have gotten 5 million views. Oh, it would have just grenaded, right? But uh, And I think yeah. it would have been for all the wrong reasons. And I think Joe is right. just, he's such a good dude, and I think he sees through the people who are trying to get to him for for that or if they're genuinely trying to just provide a service or be genuine or what have you. And so, um, but people love, I guess where I was going with that, people love those big animals. They can't get enough of those giant animals. Um, and I think it's the... They just don't see it in their day-to-day. -day. It's a little bit alluring to just see something that's, that's just not the norm, you know. And those people, generally speaking, are not hating. They're just interested. They're just interested, and that's, that's the content that they want. Yeah, it's, it's so crazy. I'm, I'm, as you're talking here, I'm looking through your channel, and I actually pulled up my channel. One thing that's so interesting that I hadn't, I, I mean, I haven't paid attention to this in probably a year, but like I have some elk hunting, how to gut an elk part one, part two, part three, part four. Mm -hmm. They've just been blistered with views and then elk hunting, gutless field dressing method one, two, three, four, five, just for me, tons and tons of views. And so that just goes to show exactly what you were saying, how YouTube uh, <coughs> has become like the how-to place. So if you want to mm -hmm. know how to do something, how to change uh, a transmission or how to, you know, I'm sure I haven't even done it, but I'm sure if you type in any sort of mechanical, you know, how to, how to change a, you know, a, a fuel filter, there's probably a 
billion videos, oh. and the views are probably through the roof. Through the roof, yeah. And the one that will win in every case, let's just say that's a perfect example. How to change the fuel filter on a Ford F-150, whatever, right? Let's just say that's the deal. The one that will win, will rise to the top, is the one that's the shortest. So if there's a three-minute version of that, that guy's going to get the clicks. And if that guy's content is newer, meaning, um, uh, you know, say, say a guy does one and it's got 30,000 views and it's from 2004, <clears throat> the, the guy's not going to just people just aren't going to watch it, right, because it seems already old and dated. That guy could take that same film and re-upload it and shorten it to by a minute or whatever, and he'd be top of the heap, right, because it came in in 2019. It's a three-minute way on how to click. This guy would just win, win, win. I find that if I shorten my films, make them more direct, less talking in the beginning, less Ryan in the beginning doing my thing, if I just jump right in, man, I got him. I got him. Because you'll lose guys in the first 10 seconds. Um, and, I, and, I, and I know I said it to you or maybe even in that email, but I would, I would go back and change something about every film I ever did, whether it was an audio piece or if I come back in a month and watch my film and I'm semi-bored with something, I could have just cut it out. I should have just cut it out because it would have kept more views and more looks coming. Um, but yeah, like, you know, so your turkey stuff, it's been a long time since I had seen a turkey hunt. Um, and for no other reason, you know, I'm not a, a turkey hunter. I love to shoot them. I love to eat them. But the, the, the hunting side of it, I just, I don't have, they got to put antlers on them and I'm all in. Right? <laughs> You're one of those. Huh? You're <laughs> one of those. <laughs> oh, I love them, man. I love antlers on the ground. I love them on their head. I lo- oh, I just love them. Um, <laughs> so I am going to get you out this year and get you, find a way to get you to shoot a turkey up there in Wyoming with me. We got to get fun. Um, so, you, you sent me an email that I thought had some really cool, good nuggets, um, top 10 rules and suggestions for filming and sharing hunts. And I know that there's a lot of people that listen to my podcast that they love filming hunts and they love doing that um wondering if you could share some of this information um you know and go through some of this that might be might be helpful for some people for sure yeah and and maybe just to kind of preface to i have no film background no education didn't come out of any sort of you know, tried and true film writing, any of that stuff. I just, I never had it. I just like what I see and through all the errors and things I've made through the years and then with all the information's out there, right, through your podcast and others that are similar, there's just so much attention and we have this huge voice right now that I think if we can just use a handful of guidelines, it will help us all as a whole. Um, and I have been sharing that list a few places, and I thought just, you know, per our conversation in October, we're just going to get together and talk. I thought, I'll just write down a few notes. Um, and so, um, do you want me to go through them? Do you want me to just go through them? Yeah, for sure. Do yeah. It. So, I wrote just that this list is the, the top ten rules and suggestions for filming and sharing hunts. The number one rule, in my opinion, always show respect for the animal and the environment. If you are doing that you are way ahead of the game. You will get less hate. You'll get more acceptance. And 
it's just going to help us as a whole. Now, I don't think there's people deliberately being disrespectful to animals, but and I don't even know how else to say it, but you can watch a film that is respectful and you can watch a film that is <clears throat> doesn't seem as respectful and it's real easy to gravitate to the one that is more respectful. So just as rule number one, just be cognizant of, of, of that piece. And if it looks like you're, like, you know, so let's just say you harvest a deer or a pig or whatever and you walk up and, you know, you're going to check, right? You touch his eye to see if there's a reaction or whatever, um, you know, versus walking up and kicking it or walking up and, shooting it. I mean, all that stuff's on the internet. You can see all the stuff that's a little bit dicey. That's the fastest turnoff. That's the fastest way to take somebody and push them to the wrong side. Um, so just be respectful. Uh, number two, only film legal and ethical. If something is even remotely dicey, like, oh man, I'm not sure it's the wrong side of the fence, or I think we're in the right place, just don't film it. Don't film it because you're going to want to use the footage you're going to want to share it if you capture something that is fantastic that's outside the law you're just you're just going to get yourself in trouble and you're going to get hunters in general to get this stereotype um and the beauty is is most of the time you know all the good hunters are not they don't find themselves in that space um but just as a rule especially young, when i was younger there was just certain things that we would film that were <clears throat> I don't, I, I don't know, colorful is probably the right word. It'd be like, ah, oh, it's not illegal, but it probably wouldn't go over real well, right? Um, it, you know, like we'd be spotlighting jackrabbits in Wyoming at night, perfectly legal. We did it all the time, but we just cleaned out the jackrabbits, and I'm sure that wouldn't, that wouldn't be a fantastic story on film. So don't film it. Um, number three, and this one I think is important, uh, think, who is my audience? If you're going to share a film publicly... In my opinion, your audience will always be the non-hunter. And I say that because the hunting community, we're not going to sway from where we're coming from. We're not going to change our views and mindsets. The anti-hunting world, they're not going to change their ideals either. There's this big old gap in the middle, that 80% of the world that's just indifferent. They're not sure where they stand. That needs to be your audience. You need to create your edit as best you can looking through the lens of somebody who doesn't do this very often. You can still put out a fantastic film to the hunter, even to the anti-hunter, with that mindset in mind. Um, and, and it goes to, like, and I get into it a little bit later, but like uh, an example of that would be would be a kill shot for us, right? So we take a big long shot across canyon, bullet flies, vapor trail, hits the animal, animal kind of wads up, goes down. That's when we'd cut the film, right? That It's over. That part's done. But there's occasions where that animal will pick up and he'll run down the canyon, he'll fight, he'll kick, he'll do just a natural death piece. That part needs to come out. And not that you're sugarcoating anything, but a, a hunter really doesn't want to see it. An anti-hunter is going to just double hate you for it. And the guy in the middle was okay with the humane kill shot, but the other part pushed him over the edge. And it's just one, right. just one example of that. Um, from the film side, rule number four, I always say give yourself 10 seconds of footage. So if you're filming around <clears throat> and you're, 
let's just say you're grabbing some B-roll or just some environment pictures, like a close-up of a bumblebee or a flower or a tree. Honestly, my favorite parts of the film are those really, you know, beautiful close-up shots. That's the part I love the most. I say give yourself 10 seconds of record time because when you push the button, record, you'll get a little shake, and when you push it to stop recording, you'll get a little shake. But seven seconds is enough to create a film. If you look at every good film, <clears throat> every piece that's out there, every award-winning best film in class, the entire film is done in slow-mo. A seven-second clip at 60 frames per second at 25% is like 30 seconds long, right? It's, it's all you ever needed. But if you cut yourself shorter than that, your film will look choppy. So just as a rule for me, I found that if I give myself 10 seconds, I can produce a much better film. Uh, another film rule number five, if you think something is cool or if it's interesting, film it. If you're ever looking at something like, oh my gosh, I can't believe X, film it. Just film it, and if you get home and don't want it, don't use it, but you can only capture it while you're there. <clears throat> I beat up on this point constantly, especially with trophy shots guy harvests an animal they get it down there's this big moment of yes it's great the sun's going down man we got to get out of here or it's super hot we got to get it gutted you got to take and you know this from shooting some of the most pristine animals in the world you got to take that time and capture a respectful photo of that place and time just sort it out that's an, that's an important place don't hurry that film those pieces because you can't come back and relive it. You also can't relocate the animal, prop him up, and do it the next day. It just is not the same. So take the time, clear the grass, remove the blood. I have seen everything from stapling mouths closed to removing tongues to supergluing lips shut, everything under the sun to make a presentable photo because we're doing that out of respect for the animal, that part is paramount, and I just can't harp on it enough. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, how many times have you been over a, a sheep trophy shot, right? Hours. Yeah. You'll be in a studio yep. somewhere. Because you're trying to get that image correctly for that experience. And that's – so <clears throat> just that's where I'm at. Um, Ryan, let me stop you right here for just a second. I want to uh, – Take a quick break. Thank the sponsors of the podcast. Oh, yeah. I want to thank GoHunt.com. Uh, my friend Cody Nelson is the optics authority. He's the optics manager there at GoHunt.com. If you have any binoculars, tripods, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, any glassing questions, make sure to reach out to Cody uh, at 702-847-8747. That's extension 2. You can also reach him on his email that's optics at gohunt.com. If you guys are in the market to buy optics of any kind, make sure to reach out to Cody. He's the glassing guru. He's the optics authority. Also want to remind you, it's application season. Uh, gohunt.com insider. Uh, if you guys go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott, you're going to get a $50 gohunt gear shop gift card just for signing up. Uh, use that. Uh, gohunt.com forward slash jscott. Thanks uh, to the Gohunt Insider for making an incredible resource for draw odds and harvest statistics. I also want to thank Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. That's K-U-I-U 
ultralighthunting.com. Go to kuyu.com. Check out the best ultralight hunting gear on the market. That's the hunting gear that I wear, uh, the clothing, the backpacks, uh, the bino harness, uh, incredible gear at kuyu.com. I also want to thank canyoncoolers.com, based right out of Flagstaff, Arizona. If you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. Phonescope.com, if you use the JScott19 promo code, you're going to get a 10% discount. And onxmaps.com, 20% discount if you use the JScott19 uh, promo code. So go to onxmaps.com, type in JScott19, you're going to get a 20% discount. All right, Ryan, I believe you were at number six or number seven. On yeah, your I think, uh, <clears throat> I think, yeah, se- I think number, oh, it's funny, i just looking at my list here, I have six and seven flip-flops, it's hilarious. Um, well, so number, let's just call it number six, uh, keep the camera out, don't put it away. If you're heading in somewhere <clears throat> in, in, a, in a steep climb and you're using tracking poles and stuff like that, it, you bury that camera in, that's exactly when you're going to see all the best stuff. Um, get you a clip. Um, maybe swap your binos with your camera for a short time, put that in your bino harness, um, but keep that camera out because a lot of times how fast you react to a situation with your cameras and make it break it piece on a film, so <clears throat> keep it out. And, I, and again, this is for the guys that's maybe filming his own hunt or if you're filming behind somebody. Um, I just if, if I put it away, I miss some of the best stuff in every case. So keep the camera out. Don't put it away. Uh, number seven, uh, film others when you're glassing, walking, driving, eating, all the foods, the drinks, the environment, the, all, all that stuff that kind of it seems self-explanatory, but when you're traveling somewhere or you're going somewhere, you just don't think to film it because you're thinking, hey, we'll film the good stuff when we get there. You're going to be amazed at how much footage you'll grab at <clears throat> the gas station or, look, we've all done it, right? You pull up to the pump, you run in to grab a quick snack, and you show a buddy, hey, man, check this out, and it's a, it's a koozie with a funny caption or something on it. That is fantastic footage. Film that, you know? Film those pieces, you know, like beer helping white people dance since 1976 right it's something like a bumper <laughs> sticker or all, all that stuff so but if you just grab those little pieces it really makes for a whole film because now you're taking your audience with you they're seeing that hey you know otherwise it just looks like oh you spotted a deer you thumped a deer you gutted the deer and off you go like they have no idea that hey we just ran 25 hours of sleepless nights and stayed in this roach infested hotel and it cost us $600 in fuel, and we lost a tire, and four-wheeler fell out. I mean, just, you know all those things, right? So that part right. really enhances the story, in my opinion. Um, <clears throat> and then kind of back to the what we were talking about earlier, but don't film inappropriate. Uh, you'll want to use it, right? It was the other day we were filming something, and uh, somebody walked over to take a piss or whatever, and somebody, t- you know, you couldn't see anything, but you you, could, you were filming the guy taking a piece. This is a joke, right? You get and you get right. home. You kind of want to put it in the film, but it's the worst thing you can put in a film because it doesn't. It just doesn't. It doesn't benefit anybody. So I just say don't film inappropriate. Um, number eight, and this goes right along with what I was just saying. Don't use footage just because you filmed it. Um, if you don't want to see it when you get home, 
remove it. Uh, I know that Ranella has made the statement so many times where, you know, being a writer and writing all these fantastic works down and then sending it to the editor and they just remove all this hard work. Um, and he calls it killing your babies, right? Killing your babies. Just because you wrote it doesn't mean you have to use it. And you'll find that if you start eliminating things in your film that you just captured and you wanted to put in there because you captured it, your film will be less good. So I take everything I do now, and if I film something, I just have a core group of people. I email it off to them. like, hey, man, you give this a sniff test. Can you look through it? And my kids especially. <clears throat> and they'll be like, oh, Dad, that part right there is just – I'm – it's running a little long. Or I'll watch them, watch one of my films, and as soon as they look up disinterested to something else, I know that that's got to go. I want to keep right. them involved, keep them looking. Um, so don't be afraid to not use footage. Um, number nine, the B-roll, uh, the close shots. I always say if you can, film those close shots with natural motion, meaning cameras on a tripod, there's a blade of grass that's gently blowing in the wind. Just click that, give yourself 10 seconds, because it is fantastic B-roll. If you can get anything with natural motion, right, a creek that's just dribbling water or ants crawling out of a hill, or you know how sometimes you'll see like a big ocotillo, right, and it'll just be a, a colony of ants just working that thing over, getting into the blossom or whatever. That footage is still some of my favorite. If you can just lock it on there, hard focus, get it to where it's focused on those ants, and then moving in a silhouette, that stuff to me just makes just makes film. Um, so natural motion is, <clears throat> is what I really love. And then number 10, uh, kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, but uh, kill shots do not make a film. However, the, the hunting and the non-hunting community loves them. There's just no way around it. We make all kinds of apologies in every podcast I ever listen to about, oh, you don't need a kill shot. The kill shot is great to have. There's just a great way to film a kill shot. If the bullet falls in a bad place, I would say just don't use it. But if the bullet falls in a good place and that animal gets the what we call the bang flop if it goes down, I just will not use any footage after the bullet impacts the animals, greater than three seconds, right? So if the animals, in, say, it just, say it just hits a rib and it's going to run 100 yards, it hits a rib, and that animal just takes a couple steps, I just fade to black into the recovery. It's just easier to accept. You got the kill shot piece. You got to see what it was. Nobody really needs to see the animal kick over and kick, 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 right? And um, right. so it's just hard. I, I just think... If we adjust this kill shot piece, we'll be better off as a whole as well. Again, that's a respectful thing because nobody's really wanting to see that animal. I don't want to say die because there's people who want to see that animal take the bullet, but they don't want to see that animal suffer. And so I, I harp on the kill shot. If, if at all possible, just fix it. You know, just roll it. <clears throat> um, and then that's kind of the top ten. And, of course, I just sat down in the tree stand in South Carolina this year and was waiting for something to step out and, and jotted those down based on what I was doing. Um, and then I had a few other notes on there. Um, you can't fake or reenact genuine. It's just impossible. So if you're going to take a situation and you want to go back through and, and refilm it, just know that if you're a hunter, 
that's watching it, you're going to see right through it. You know, you're going to see, you know, laying down, trying to take a kick. You'll just, you'll just see through it. Um, <clears throat> so just be ready when it happens. Those, those incredible moments, all the best stuff that I've ever filmed, I filmed on accident. Um, and I'm talking about those reactions. I, I wrote a note on here. Uh, think of a child seeing a puppy for the first time or, you know, like a, like a text from a, from a crush or, or finding a shed on a long hike. Man, with yourself there busting your tail and right there on the trail is Big O' Brown or something. That's, that feeling is you can't, you can't fake it. Um, pain and joy are invaluable. Um, I just think if you can if you can get that right, it's not like you're trying to get somebody crying or whatever. But those those pieces are, I mean, they're 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 just genuine, and they and I think they really really make a film. If you saw um, uh, well, you saw the beast hunt. So Bud that shot that hunt or shot that bull on the Tejon four years ago, he shot another <clears throat> bull on the ranch, and it was beautiful and. He had no intention of ever really hunting an elk, and, you know, it's, a, it's an expensive hunt. And when he shot that first bull, just the emotion come out of him. It was crazy, and I'm sure you've been on so many hunts where it's shared in tears and laughing and all that stuff. And those are the, those are the invaluable moments. But to me, to go back and watch that film, that's the part that pulls on me the most. Like, man, that guy. And it wasn't remorse. It wasn't sadness. It was just raw emotion that came out of him and uh anyway it's just it's as good as it gets in my opinion um another note on here know the hunt is much harder with the camera but way more rewarding and i use you know i get a lot of people i run into hey man i just i don't really care to film my hunt i don't really want to watch it it's kind of my special moment on the mountain um and i'm like that's totally fine i totally get it but Think of it like this. If you're going on a, a once-in-a-lifetime hunt or a, or a hunt that you've dreamed about forever, it's so blurred. It happens so fast, and you'll remember the photo because you took the photo, and you'll remember little moments, but nothing is going to trigger that emotion like film. And if you don't want to see it today, I can guarantee your kids your grandkids, your friends, your family, they absolutely want to watch it. I can't get enough of stuff that my dad filmed or my grandfather filmed. It's like a wedding, right? So you go to a wedding and, oh, somebody's going to film it. Nobody watches it, and you can't remember what happened because you're shuffled here for pictures, you're shuffled there for pictures. It's a mess. And then in 20 years, you're like, oh, look, I found our wedding film. And it just wafts back over you, right? It's crazy. Oh, I, I forgot that so-and-so was there. Or look, Grandma was still alive. She looked great. Just all those emotions come back in film. I, I can't stress enough that this film and the photos are going to outlast our bodies and minds. And we need to capture those moments for this place and time. Look, the, the gear that we're using today was not the gear we were using five years ago. Look at with all the Kuyu stuff and how far Swarovski's come with the BTX. And not to just plug brands, but let's be realistic. That stuff wasn't here a couple of years ago. You know, phone scope. Now we're, we're capturing and judging and recording animals without ever harassing them miles and miles away. People think it's cheating. I think it's ethics. We used to have to get so close. We were moving those animals around the mountain just to get an idea what they are. 
Now we can sit back and take a judgment call and leave them be if it's not what we want. I just, I see it so much different than everybody else. Not everybody else. I see it differently in that respect. Than other just people. Like tra- yeah. Yeah, just like, just like trail cams, right? People are like, oh, I can't stand the trail cams. It's cheating. Well, honestly, maybe, but look at it like this. Now you know what's in that environment. Now you know you don't have to go in or you can stay away. Or maybe from a survey number, you know how many animals are on that space or when they're in there. Just, it's not always trail cam to kill. It's trail cam for information, right? We, we right. are constantly learning and growing, and I don't like, I don't like the, the negativity that comes with the technology. I just think we have to use it correctly and discuss it right, correctly. Responsibly. Just, just, yeah, just, just my two cents. Um, yeah, no, for sure. I think that's huge. Yeah, um, and so it just, it's just cool. So if you're documenting this time, right, in a couple of years, you'll be able to look back and go, oh, man, I can't believe those guys were wearing wool or, or, or whatever, right? There's, doesn't Ranella say that we're doing stuff right now that in 10 years we're going to look back and be like, I can't believe we were doing so-and-so? Because it happened with right. our fathers and grandfathers, right? Um, right. Uh, I just say do not discuss hunting with those who want to fight or have no intention of hearing your side. Some people just love to get in these big old dust-ups, right? They love to have these big old arguments with people who aren't going to change. You're just wasting air. Don't do it. There's no sense in You know, I'm just not a fighter. I'm just not the type that wants to argue. But if you want to have an adult conversation about your side, how you feel that hunting isn't right, I'm totally fine with that. I'll share with you my two cents. And if we choose not to agree, totally fine. Totally fine. I'll respect you as an individual. I would assume you respect me. But if somebody's just looking to have a problem, there's just no place for it. I just avoid that situation. Um, and again, in the same breath, I wouldn't want to sit here with you on, you know, on this podcast and say something negative about the anti-hunting world because that's not my place, and it won't do us any good. So in the same breath, um, I just don't say anything negative about um, those groups, because at the end of the day, I believe that they're doing what they feel is right for animals. We are doing what we feel is right for animals. We just have two different ways about going about it, and what did the Rolling Stones say? Right? The fastest way to failure is trying to please everybody. Just, just respect one another and just let, leave it be. So, uh, I, I think that's I, really good advice. Yeah. Um, um, and then Ryan, just work. Move, yeah. Move, go ahead. You got. No, no. That I think there was only. Is there two more? Just one more. Um, you, just the last one. Don't don't wing anything. Right. It's okay not to know something. I uh, just run into so many people who I can tell get caught up in the situation and they're trying to. I don't know, trying to speak out of turn to stay up with the conversation. People will just see through it. If you don't know something, um, just openly admit it. I think it's, I think it's extremely alluring to somebody to be like, man, I got to be honest with you. I don't know. Right. Versus trying yeah. to just wing stuff. And I see a lot of that stuff through social media where I'm, where I'm watching something be like, uh, man, I think you may be out of turn here. Of course, I'll never say anything, but it's like, People are identifying this with you, right? You you got to be careful. They pick it. They pick up on on things like that when you're trying to fake yeah. it. It's 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 easily 
it's easily picked out by most everybody that, hey, you're, you really don't know what you're talking about. You're trying to, instead of just saying, I don't know, that's more credible than trying to act like you know something about it. 100%. That's a great way to say it. And I just tell people, man, if you feel like you're really not solid in that space, just, just own it. Just own it. It's, um, it's much more likable to be, to be that guy. So, Ryan, that's all just great stuff, um, great tips out there for people wanting to film hunts. My question for you is, um, moving forward with White Bones Creations hunting page, um, what is your outlook for this coming year as far as your personal content and what you're kicking out and putting out? Um, do you feel like you're at a stage where, um, you know, you're energized to move forward and, and kick out, you know, content for this coming year? Are you at a stage, you know, everybody goes through periods of in their life where they've got this and that going on where, um, you know, things that they're doing is a priority or not a priority with white bones, um, you know, with the, with the content that you kick out, where are you at in that stage? That's a great question. Um, I'm still figuring that out, but you know, part of it, with me, part of it, it is, it's a fantastic question. I, uh, I lull it around all the time, but you know, so I still run a 40 hour week in sales. Um, I work for a plumbing wholesaler and that's kind of my primary. And then I say I have two jobs, right? So I've got a, a 19 year old boy and a, and a 16 year old girl who, you know, are my sole focus in the, and the fact that I'm able to hunt and fish as much as I am, I'm very, very fortunate and blessed, and <clears throat> I thank the Lord for that all the time. And I'm just trying, you know, it was nice with the YouTube thing to see it grow, but I didn't want personally to be caught up in it where it consumed me and it was all it was all I did because I didn't want to be disingenuine where like, oh, this guy just threw up this film for, for clicks and views. I always want to bring value to the table. <clears throat> My long-term goal would be to be financially responsible enough in that space to step away from my 40-hour-a-week, have the kids get a tick older, and then just hit it with everything in me. And I would like to film hunts while I'm physically able. You know, I'm 40 – oh, man, I'm going to say it wrong. I think I'm 44 now. <clears throat> but – you know, I don't know how much more time I have where I could do these mountain hunts. So this year I've got three sheep hunts on the books. We're heading to Argentina. And I would like to take and bring this channel to light in those spaces. So we're going to Argentina to hunt a free-range black buck. I'd like to go to Argentina, do the hunt, share the culture, share all the stuff, share the stuff that I, you know, that I as a hunter, you just love, right? You let that that whole environment kind of just envelop your body and just it's you're part of it it's the best i want to be able to tell that back in film but then i want to be able to show them how to clean those skulls because people are they want that's what they want to see so if i can use the skull cleaning side to enhance the hunting side then i think i'm doing the right thing but um this year i'm just I'm just going to continue the skull stuff. It's, it's funny to me because it's the same method for every animal, but everybody wants to see another animal, right? So that's why you see the goat, the forehorn, the blah, you know, all these different ones is because people just want to see the uniqueness of every animal. People will jump in and search how to clean an audit, how to clean a white-tailed deer, how to clean. 
they don't search how to skull clean. They just search animals. And so I'm trying to cover the gamut, right? If it's legal out there, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wash a skull in it. Um, I get lots of questions about apparel. I, uh, I had some hats made at the, at the show, and I was thinking I was going to sell them. Well, I handed them all out for free, so I don't, I don't know that I'm <laughs> much, of, much of a businessman. <laughs> <laughs> there went your money making. You just oh, gave them all away. <laughs> oh, I'm, ter- I'm terrible that way. But, um, so I don't, I, you know, I'm not sure. I would, love to, I would love to have a definitive, hey, I'm going to try and do, you know, two films a month until, you know, whatever. My, I tell you, and this is a, an old, kind of back to the beginning, but, you know, everybody has this. You have to flood everything with content. You have to keep it coming like every Friday or super consistent. I have found that my successes came otherwise. If I, I put up that Longhorn film and it started to really grow, so I can watch through YouTube's studio app where you can see everything that's going on in your channel. If it's growing and growing and growing, I don't want to put up another film because when I do, it changes the algorithm. And so I get a huge decline and then a slow uptick. So I just wait until it flattens out. Like I haven't put up a film in a month. I will put one up today because i got a bunch of skulls to do, but it just now flattened out. And so people are like, oh, man, you've got to keep content coming. I think it's almost better if you, I don't know, maybe starve the watcher for a little bit or start, starve the viewer for content and only put out good stuff. Um, but anyway, that's my, uh, that's my that's, two cents. Yeah, if, you that's get one on, if, you get, if you get one on a roll, leave it alone. That's my, uh, that's my two cents. But, no, I'm just going to, honestly, this year, I'm going to just stay in my lane I'm going to do the skull work and the hunting. Um, I'm not going to do the vlogging. I'm not going to jump into what's trendy. Um, and I'm going to try and collaborate a little more this year. Um, work with some guys on YouTube to see if I can help them. Um, I have a buddy that we're going to do a kind of like Robert's Catch, Clean, and Cook. I'm going to do a I'm going to do a ground squirrel video with Jeremiah from Field to Plate. He's an old friend. I've known him forever. Kind of watched him become famous on Instagram, cooking and cleaning and all that stuff. And so if I can help him on YouTube and he can help me on Instagram, all fun. And so we're going we're gonna to do that um, well, here in a week or so. And so I'm just going to try and just stay consistent. I guess that's my goal. Okay, so let me ask you a question. You fish or my perception is you fish a lot. <laughs> my question would be, why are, are you, would you be nervous on the fishing videos that I've seen that you've done, are you nervous that if you went all in and said, here's the bait I'm using, here's the town test I'm using, here's the tide flows, I'm fishing this, I'm fishing that, are you just nervous that if you went you know, full detail on that, that you'd show up and there'd be 10 boats on every rock pile that you fish? Is it, is it a function of... Yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so yeah. the areas 100%. you fish are too public that if you really went all in, you would have everybody in the world would go, oh, that's where Ryan goes? Okay, perfect. So if you yeah. had a quote-unquote private area or area where you could, you know... I think about this a lot with some of my elk hunting and some of the stuff I do. I'm 
the hunt manager over there at the Odd Fix Ranch, and I could do a lot of things that would bring value to people. Um, but for instance, oh, this is this place right here. This is the spot where the big bulls come out of the high country. Da 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 da. And I mm. film it, and the next year I show up there, and there's you know 17 tree stands all in the exact spot where I said, okay, these are where the bulls come from, you know, the high country down to the ranch, da-da-da-da-da-da. And that's kind of held me back from doing that. Is that the same thing with the fishing for you? It's exactly the same thing. And, and, and here's, where I, here's where I run into this moral dilemma with that. And, uh, yeah, it is. So we, and that's why I haven't posted in a couple of years, because absolutely for sure just the little bit that we shared or that I shared, I semi-damaged the resource, trying to encourage people, hey, get out there, go fishing, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, ooh, too much pressure on one spot. I could see similar photos on the exact same areas. And not that, not that I had the secret sauce, but I may have exposed something that I shouldn't have. So <clears throat> I'm super protective of that, mostly because of friends um, saying, hey, man, you know, we found this together. Don't, don't blast it. Don't blow it up. In the same breath, uh, I'm, I'm incredibly involved in, that's the wrong word, I, I'm extremely involved in the youth three R's, right? Reaction, retention, no, uh, recruitment, retention, reactivation, right? I'm, I'm extremely involved in getting them in the outdoors. But in the same breath, I'm not just going to take and show them all that stuff and take them to my spots that are our spots or whoever spots that worked on it for 20 years because you're doing the wrong thing. I think it'd be like having a kid in his very first car who's walked out and dad's like, hey, man, here's your Ferrari, right? Enjoy your first car because you walked him into a big bull elk at 12 years old and thumped it and just had no real idea of how that went along. I, I, I kind of right. I disagree with that whole piece. But I think we have to be able to give kids – youth or new hunters or however the tools to get there on their own and i'm really pushing this hard right now within these communities because we do deer hunts on the ranch on the tajon we do pheasant hunts on the tajon with these kids it's great but those kids can never duplicate that experience whether it be financially or a, a resource to get there i would rather have the Say, for example, the Tahone Ranch. I would rather have the Tahone Ranch experience. You come up with a, with a guide. We do an orientation. We shoot your weapon, make sure everything's zeroed, and then we have like a big bingo card. And we're going to drive through the ranch, and we're going to identify an oak and an acorn and a pig track and wild oats and all these things. Teach it. Like, get out of the truck. See that pig track. Yeah. Which way is he going? I don't know. Well, he's going this way because you can see how his footprint is, right? All those tools that he could take, and he could go back to school on Monday morning, and he could go out to the baseball diamond and look at bird tracks. Ah, that's a bird track. He was going this way. Something that he could duplicate and learn from. So I think, and I know I went way off topic there, but I would rather show somebody how to fish or share with them fishing like not tying 101 basic baits that will work anywhere on planet Earth, certain areas, drop-offs, declines, rock piles, 
the right solar and lunar waves, the tide phase. I'm, I would love to show all that stuff and not expose the spot. I think that's the right way to go. As to where you in, you know, on the odd six, right, or, or wherever, hey, bulls typically at some time of year come out of this stuff looking to breed cows, right? You're looking for X. This is without ever having that exact reference because twice this year we were on a dove hunt guy rolled up and said, hey, man, i seen your videos. And I said, hey, nice to meet you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how'd you find this spot? And he's like, I found it from your videos. And I was like, crud, you know. And he didn't yeah. do anything wrong. The guy jumped on there. He no. was trying to find a place to hunt. Good for him. He used his resources. But I was like, shoot. And that next day, there was so many people hunting there that we pushed ourselves out of our own area. I, I, I pushed my group out of our own area because I shared a story online. So I just had to be a little more conscious of what I'm sharing and where I'm sharing it, still providing the same amount of information, just a little more aware that you may be blowing up a spot. Um, you don't, look at don't you think look some at of these, um, don't you think like Steve Ranella and, and some of these bigger shows, I mean, I'm sure they fight that every single day because the, here oh, they are yeah. trying to, bring, you know, bring to light, you know, uh, some sort of sage grouse hunting area or some sort of squirrel or this, that, or the other, and it's like there's a oh, bunch yeah. of locals there, and they've just totally exposed, and they were trying to do, they were not trying to expose someone's spot, they were trying to bring light to that animal and blah, blah, yeah. blah, and, it's, and I'm sure it's a huge problem for them. It is a huge problem, and I heard, um, I, I listened you know, um, I listened to the podcast, you know, the Steve drew that tag down there in Washington and he killed a beautiful bull in there and it's super hard to get the tag. There's only like seven tags or something like that. And he's like, I don't think I'm blowing up spot cause you can't get the tag. And anyway, he got so much backlash, right? Just trying to do the right thing. And what he, what, what wasn't considered at the time was there's only seven tags, but now there's a million people now who know that and they're going to apply so those, it just it just made the application pool so great, and he was like, oh, he felt bad, apologized for it. And it's just whenever you're in the limelight, it is so much more delicate in what you share and can't share. Um, I just think there's still a way where if, you know, and again, we're learning, right? We didn't know this five years ago. We didn't know Internet poaching was, Internet spot poaching was a thing. Look at the boys from, like, Tines Up with the shed hunting. So they've taken shed hunting what we've done for forever and just made it culturally this phenomenon and if you go to the early films i mean there's people all over there wintering grounds and all over that it went as far as incorporating seasons and dates and they didn't mean to right they just wanted to share this fantastic experience i get it man i watched all those guys pick up horns i was doing it in the 90s, I was filming, picking up sheds in Wyoming and just thinking, oh, this is fantastic. Never thought somebody would watch it. I just wanted to see it again. And so I, we're just learning as we go. We're just learning. Um, and so if we're just mindful of it's not just your spot or like for me on the fishing thing, it's not just my spot. So as much as I'd love to share the fishing, I may be hurting the guy that's been there long before me that takes his grandson out once a year for Christmas and that's where they fish and now there's 10 boats on it. So I'd rather, I'd rather teach the resource, 
hey, these things are here. You got to go find them and go that route. Um, and I'm, I'm terrible when it comes to the fishing too, because I just don't put my rod down to. I just don't put my rod down to. <laughs> you like to catch too hunting. much. Oh, I love to <laughs> And when you're hunting, right, you stop on the trail, film, and then you know the the kill shot's like one second of the hunt, right? So it's yeah. no big deal. Um, but yeah, I do. I love to fish, and uh, it's I haven't I haven't fished as much this fall. Um, that I typically do, but we're normally on the water three days a week, um, come spring and summer. And I just love it. My daughter loves to fish. All her friends love to fish. And so now when they ever have a dance at school, I wind up with all the girls on the boat, uh, all the teenage girls fishing, uh, while everybody's at the dance. And so it's kind of a fun dad, dad moment. Um, they'd rather fish than to go to the dance. And I love it. Uh, question for you do you think and talking to bring it back to robert do you think that he faces some of these same challenges with all of the fishing stuff that he does uh you know off the coast and what have you and do you think he has to be more cognizant of the fact that he could be ruining somebody's spot that's been there for 30 years and do you think he's 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 gotten better at that i'm, I'm I, I would assume yeah. he has yeah, yes, yes on all accounts, I think. Um, yeah, you, you know, it's one of those things we just never thought about. We're just bringing content to the world. But, yeah, I know that Robert runs into it. Um, you know, he gets – so he's got his real popular pieces, his most popular films, um, alligator stuff and then the blue crab stuff. Well, the blue crab stuff is a, is a resource that's not too far from him, which everybody shares in, but I know that um, – that has been backed off a little bit because that's not the same as it used to be already. You know, it's just not the same as it was. So, yeah, and he'll do a lot of little farm ponds. Robert's done a really good job over the last couple of years of, of collaborating with a few guys and going and doing stuff, um, hunting kind of in those celebrity camps and stuff like that. And they're, they're really good about not exposing where they are. Um, and that's, that's, a, that's a learned thing uh, from growth for sure. Yeah. For sure. Well, buddy, it's been awesome having you on the podcast. It's been really cool seeing the growth of your channel. I uh, want to encourage everyone out there, if they haven't, go on and subscribe on Ryan's channel. Uh, Ryan, why don't you take a second here to make sure people know how they can follow and where they can subscribe. And if you had any last-minute thoughts, um, feel free to share them. Yeah, no, you know, Jay, I, uh, I just, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the podcast and, you know, a special congrats to you on the growth here. It's real easy, all the things that we talked about, you know, the respect and staying true to what you know and, and what you're great at. I mean, you've been able to do that here, if I can close with a bit of flattery. And so it's good to get to know you. It's great to be able to share um, in this space. Um, if a guy's interested in looking at, you know, the content that I'm putting out there, it's Whitebone Creations in everything. So whitebonecreations.com, Whitebone Creations, hunting on YouTube, hunting and fishing, um, Whitebone Creations on Instagram, and um, just learning and growing and trying to do a better job as we go and encouraging other hunters or anybody that wants to be in this space that if we just do things mindfully and respectfully toward our animal 
and thinking of tomorrow for our kids, then we're just doing the right thing and um, success will find you at the end. I guess that's the easiest way for me to kind of put it. But thank you, like always, for having me on. It's, it's always a blast to talk hunting and fishing and the outdoors, and I genuinely love it. Yeah, you can tell it uh, bleeds right through you. And um, hats off to you for all the success that you've had. And I uh, look forward to following along and seeing how your um, fall goes this year. And um, just appreciate all that you do. Uh, guys, make sure you go and subscribe uh, to Ryan's channel, White Bones Creations Hunting and Fishing. Uh, check it out. Thanks for all of the tips. Uh, I'll be chatting at you, buddy, okay? So God bless. Awesome, brother. Thanks, man.